Hello and welcome to another award-winning episode of Saved by the 90s. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today is a guy who predicts every year's Oscars with 100% accuracy, Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Um, uh, yes, I, I, uh, I, I get all of the categories that I get right. I always get right. <laughs> this month on the show, we'll be taking a look at four Best Picture winners at the Academy Awards throughout the decade. So maybe some of them are perhaps more controversial than others. So polish those statues because this is Saved by the 90s. After tonight's Academy Awards, some of the winners and nominees will go to glamorous Hollywood parties. Some will go to world-famous restaurants. Some will just go home. But one thing's for certain. Everyone nominated this evening will eventually wind up at the same place. We'd like to thank all this evening's stars for making tonight and every night a blockbuster night. First up, we have a three-hour sprawling Civil War epic directed and starring the one and only Kevin Costner. Nominated for 12 Academy Awards and winning seven, this is Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves is a sweeping epic with sensitivity, says Newsweek magazine. Vibrating with humanity, affection, and adventure, pure movie-making magic. One of the year's most satisfying and entertaining films. Brilliant, touching, romantic, and spectacular. A 10-plus. Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves. Lieutenant John Dunbar, assigned to a remote Western Civil War outpost, befriends wolves and Native Americans, making him an intolerable aberration in the military. All right. So, so, so we're here this month to talk about some movies that, particularly movies that people kind of contest winning Best Picture today. People are not, you know universally happy about you know the academy awards that thing that as i said in the intro i predict all of the ones that i get right uh right is i was thinking actually i did do very well this past year uh because i just played all of the favorites just played all the front runners <laughs> i sometimes i try to be different that usually doesn't work this year i actually did pretty close to 100 percent. you just gotta hit the favorites anyway sorry so dances with wolves is this is this like a first time watch for you rewatch what is what is this what is your history with Dances with Wolves? Uh, this is a first time watch for me. I knew of this movie, obviously. I knew two things about it. It won Best Picture, and it's three hours long. Okay, so now that you saw it, do you think it warrants that runtime? And what were your initial impressions? No, I don't. And I think it's f- a very well made movie that is not particularly compelling. Just a few days before I watched Dances with Wolves, I watched The Northman, and I had a very similar feeling about The Northman. Now, I I like The Northman significantly more than this, but I had sort of the same feeling where it's like, okay, well, this is a very well-made movie, but I'm just not really into this kind of sprawling epic, and I'm finding a lot of it to be very dull. And I, I think that... This Dances with Wolves is was way, way, way more dull than 
the Northmen. But uh, I, w- I was just kind of feeling the same way just since I watched them almost back to back. I've seen this movie before, uh, probably once or twice. I never really liked it, and I still kind of feel the same way. I don't hate it. I didn't like despise it or anything like that. I was this was the first movie I watched of the four because like I knew that that runtime was just going to really get to me. So I wanted to just get it out of the way. And yeah, man, like I just couldn't wait for it to be over. Like I was just <laughs> I was really eager for it to to be over, especially because I've seen it before. So I, I sort of remember I didn't remember a lot of it, but I remembered like, you know, the broad strokes. So that made it even more kind of a slog to, to get through. Plus we talked about Kevin Costner before on this show. <laughs> yes. He is so bad in this. Like he's just <laughs> so bad and I don't understand it. Like I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. He, he was nominated for an Oscar for his performance for acting in this movie. Like, is it just me? Like, I know it's not just me. It's it's not a particularly... I'm going to say this again about this movie in general. It's not a particularly compelling movie. He doesn't give a particularly compelling performance. Okay. It's the... I mean, yeah. I, just the inherent problem with <laughs> the character is that he's just the... He... he yeah. It is like... He's like narrating... And and like the the stuff that he narrates is like so dumb, and it's like mm-hmm. he talks like he's a, a a child who's like writing a like a third grade what I did on summer vacation report, like that's what it reminds me of. This is uh this this is based on a novel, and my suspicion is that that's just verbatim text from the novel, and it doesn't. I think make it. Me is. Want I read the novel. Yeah, I I, I suspect that that's what it is. If that's also, what we're getting out of it. Uh, presumably the novel's probably written in first person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, probably the whole thing is like that. And if, that, if, if those are the kinds of, the kinds of, uh, good, the kinds of cogent prose that the novel's giving us, I don't know. <laughs> God almighty. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah, you you have a a movie that is like you know he, he's this war hero. He goes to stay by himself in in this outpost uh, out west, and he you know, meets meets a bunch of Native Americans. I guess sort of b- befriends them, and it it kind of tur- it's. A little bit of a white savior movie, I would say. Yeah, that that's kind of one of the problems standing right here in the in front and center in this movie, and I think particularly because it is a white savior movie, it's going to lean so much on this white guy main character played not again, not particularly thrillingly by Kevin Costner. It like the the whitest yes. white guy too. I mean, like he is mm-hmm. he's he's aggressively white in this. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then of course, and then you have Mary McDonald too, who is a the love interest because naturally this is also a love story, and she plays stands with a fist, who is a a white woman who her family was killed by another tribe, and she was raised by this tribe as like one of their own. So you have that aspect of it as well, which. Uh, 
I don't know. I wasn't really into the love story aspect either. I thought that it was very mm-hmm. kind of surface level. Uh, it's it's the kind of movie where everything except the actual details of how it's telling its story and going about it are pretty well done. It's it's a technically impressive movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't have any, like, major problems with it other than no. the length. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's not one that I'll, I'll be eager to revisit. No. That's for sure. And it does... Comparing it to some more contemporary, like Western style dramas, I think that it doesn't quite hold up. It does kind of feel dated in the like the score and just the how cheesy and sappy a lot of it is. Definitely feels a bit Oscar Beatty. I can't believe that it was nominated for twelve Academy <laughs> Awards, though. It is. It, it is such a uh, a exact uh, like point in it. I think this is kind of the meta text for all the movies we're talking about in the context of them winning Best Picture. Is just like the degree to which this captures the an exact snapshot in the Academy's history. <laughs> It's nuts. I mean, this is this is the year that Goodfellas came out. You kidding me? Mm. Goodfellas. Yeah, it, it's and this this beat out Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> it was yeah. going up against Awakenings, Ghost, Goodfellas, and The Godfather Part Three. Now, The Godfather Part Three has no business even being on that list, but the others are. Actually, Ghost, I don't... Ghost, I can't believe that got nominated for Best Picture. Like, what were they... Did they, like, just not have... Did they just not have movies? <laughs> any good... Like, there were, like, two good movies I that mean, came is, out in 1990? Is, I mean, I think that makes sense as a pick in the sense that it's the kind of thing where it's that increasingly rare these days event of uh, a mid-budget movie not based on any source material becoming this enormous like pop culture breaking blockbuster which ghost is or was in 1990 and so Mm -hmm. i'm not surprised that it was nominated for best picture that's true and and just looking at the other nominees in 1990 it's kind of crazy like dick tracy (laughs) And, and granted these are like you know uh, makeup and stuff like that, but still, like to see Dick Tracy winning multiple Academy Awards at one Best Makeup and uh, Best Original Song, so that's crazy to me. And then have Flatliners, remember <laughs> Flatliners? That did we was talk nominated. About that on the show? I don't think so. I don't think I we think did. We, I, did we? I, I don't. I don't remember. Maybe, maybe it seems like something you would have brought up for sure. Let's let's but look. Let's the, let's check. Let's check the website. <laughs> the fact I think that we you might have. Oh, the movie. Yeah, we talked about the movie. I just I don't remember talking about the fact that it was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh well, yeah. No, I guess not. You're right. I don't know why I didn't bring that up. <laughs> yeah, it was nominated. Why did I not for, have that for, fact right on the right at the top of my thought process when we were talking about that? <laughs> It was nominated for Best Sound Effects Editing, which is kind of an interesting category. It was going up against The Hunt for Red October and Total Recall. 
and Hunt for Red October won that that category. Just just a weird year, man. Dick Tracy winning two Academy Awards. <laughs> Home Home Alone got nominated for a few, but didn't win any. Mm. Just just kind of wild. Uh, the ninety one Oscars was also the second of Billy Crystal's. I don't know seven <laughs> shows that he did. <laughs> Feels like that's mm. uh, uh, probably around the right number. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, I, I can't, I just can't believe that it won that many. And I, I think that I'll, that's a, a sentiment that I'll be repeating later on in this yeah. show. Maybe multiple times. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, uh, but it, I, yeah, I, I just don't have anything else to add about it. it. It's like, if you haven't seen it, you're not missing much, I don't think, honestly. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the movies that we're going to be talking about, not this one particularly, because I just don't think, I, I don't think it applies to the first half of my belief here, What which is, if you make a good movie, just like a fine, good, entertaining movie, which I'm not sure this quite is, if you just make a fine, good, entertaining movie, the worst thing that can happen to it is it winning Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Because it will become a hated movie. Yeah. Like, uh, like Crash, yeah, that's another one. Uh, I don't know. Is Crash there's, good? There's a lot. It's all right. It's all right. But uh, best I, picture, I don't. It's the one I haven't seen. No, I just think that 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 it, that this is a category that a lot of best picture winners fall into, which is okay movies, like fine movies, perfectly nice movies. And and I feel like it, that becomes or that became more true with each passing year like mm -hmm. ev ev eventually it was like every every one that won you're just like okay and and none of them seem to have any kind of like staying power anymore like they all just kind of wither away like the mm -hmm. artist who who yeah. talks about the artist anymore mm -hmm. i think that might be another another entry on that list that i'm thinking of it's just yeah i mean they, they just fade away i mean hopefully I think Parasite maybe have maybe broke that curse, but yeah, I think I think I think Parasite is an example of a very good movie winning Best Picture. Uh, I think Moonlight is a good is an example of a of another you so know, very good movie winning Best Picture. So do I. I was rooting for Moonlight. I, I yeah. really loved that movie, and I think that was like my number one movie of the year that year. But at the same time, like I kind of forgot about Moonlight, other than you know the 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 controversy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been thinking so, about like, that. I, I think I think all movies that win best picture maybe less so now as the Oscars kind of recede as everything else does as from taking a predominant place in popular culture uh but I think for I think all movies to some degree that win best picture will get a backlash uh but I think if you're a great movie which I think you know Moonlight and Parasite are recent examples of great movies that win best picture I think you can weather that storm uh, that will be inevitable if you're just an okay, perfectly fine, entertaining movie that doesn't bother anybody. That is going to be very hard. <laughs> and especially, there's certain. I mean, there's a there's a reason that the term Oscar bait exists, and it, there's there's certain movies that I feel cater towards the Academy and mm -hmm. perhaps maybe pander a little bit towards the Academy, and mm -hmm. and people people recognize those, and they're like. You know, those those are movies that just don't they don't stand the test of time. They 
they do their job in pleasing the academy for that year and then they just and then they're gone mm-hmm. and, yes. and you could just go down the list and i think like the king's speech i think did that win i, 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 I think it did right yeah i mean like that one network. too yeah it's just yeah anyway uh anything else you want to add about dances with wolves before we move on uh, not really. It's just not, it's very long. It's not particularly compelling. It can, and on just like a narrative level, it can't get over being this pretty, you know, obvious white savior narrative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just All not, right. it, there's just not much to say about it really. Yeah. And next up, we have a movie that permeated every aspect of pop culture upon its release and a title many consider a bona fide classic. Directed by Robert Zemeckis and winner of six Oscars, this is Forrest Gump. Ever since he was a boy, Forrest Gump had no idea where he was headed. Are you stupid or something? Stupid is, stupid does, sir. But wherever he went, go! Yeah! Opportunity follows. Paramount Pictures presents Tom Hanks. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. Forrest Gump, rated PG-13, starts Wednesday, July 6th at theaters everywhere. The presidencies of Kennedy and Johnson, the Vietnam War, the Watergate scandal, and other historical events unfold from the perspective of an Alabama man with an IQ of 75 whose only desire is to be reunited with his childhood sweetheart. I'm I'm reading that description and I'm thinking yeah I this is what this movie is about but also that's what this movie's about right <laughs> it feels like it's not what it's about but it's also what it's about it, okay this is going to be <laughs> uh one of the movies that might actually break me this month <laughs> <laughs> because uh, th- Remember how, like, five minutes ago I was talking about how Ghost was one of those best picture uh, contenders where it got nominated because it happened to completely uh, uh, cause a seismic eruption uh, in popular culture? (laughs) Oh, yeah, this one. This one was... This movie was so massive. The amount of of parodies and people quoting it. And I mean, it still happens. Like people still reference this movie and quote it. It's, it's one of the, you know, 1994 as so uh, the best picture nominee list this year is filled with multiple examples of a movie. This being one of them where even if you haven't seen it, you kind of have. (laughs) Yeah. It's, Man, I I just revisiting this. I've seen this movie multiple times and I'm just uh I think I think the more I see it and the 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 longer time goes since this movie came out, the worse I think that it becomes. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that I think is not aging no very well. You can say that about a lot of movies, of course, even even ones that are we're going to be discussing on this show. But you know, I I feel I feel so conflicted about Forrest Gump. I never loved the movie like like most people, 
When I first saw it, I didn't see it in the theater or anything like that. I saw it when it came out on video and I thought it was okay. Like I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. And that's actually still kind of how I feel about it now. I don't hate it. I don't see any major problems with it, but I also don't, I don't really get anything out of it. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My journey with this is that I saw it many years ago. Uh, and liked it a lot. I think maybe in some small reason because it felt like you're supposed to like it. <laughs> One of those movies. <laughs> well, uh, the, yeah. The the I my opinion started to change. Not really for this reason, but I think the dividing point when I stopped. I kind of went through a phase of liking Forrest Gump and then not thinking about Forrest Gump and then thinking about it and reacting negatively. Uh, <laughs> I think the point was um, when I was in high school, I went on a field trip to Washington, D.C. on like a, a bus, bus, like a coach bus with like, you know, like the, a DVD system with screens over the seats. And that we were supposed to, they were supposed to show one movie on the way there and one movie on the way back. And the movie they showed on the way down was Forrest Gump. And then when we went back, uh, it's there was the, there was a problem with the second disc. So they just played Forrest Gump again. <laughs> <laughs> And so in my mind, I could say that's what made me start to not like this movie very much. <laughs> Man, I can't, can't, I can't imagine watching it like... Twice in a day? <laughs> tw- yeah, what? Oh my god. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be pretty brutal. This movie... I, it, I think I tuned it out the second viewing. I was not paying attention at all. Oh yeah. Add, add. You have to. You have to just mm-hmm. turn it off. <laughs> yeah, this, this one feels very long uh, too but it's it's not super long it's uh, according to imdb two hours and 22 minutes you'd believe it was longer (laughs) yeah i mean just because in a lot of ways this is a pretty epic movie as well i mean there's just so much that that happens they cram so much into this movie it's it's quite a quite a journey Mm -hmm. that that occurs in this movie and i think that maybe like it's maybe it's too much. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I feel so conflicted about this movie that I think that there's some aspects of it that I find, I still find to be charming, but then there's other aspects of it where I'm just like, this is too much. Like, mm-hmm. give, give, come on, just give me a, give me a break here. And that's not even like considering the, the idea that I, I don't know if a movie like this would be made today, considering the stigma around mental health and stuff like that. I, I just don't know if that would necessarily happen. It's the 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 meta text to this movie. I think it's something that people are going to be arguing about until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> uh, that's the thing that keeps coming back to me. Is and, and but the thing is though, like maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that kind of conversation about his his like his his learning disability or that aspect of it and how that plays a role in, in the movie itself, you know, like his innocence where he's thrust into all of these like horribly dire, depressing, sad situations. And he's able to 
have this level of innocence, purity and get through them and, you know, persevere and be successful despite his low IQ. But I, and I, I feel like that conversation about like how it's represented in, in this movie and all of that stuff is not really something that, that I feel like was happening back when it came out. I feel like as the years have gone on, people have started talking more about that. Yeah. I, I, I can't speak to that. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I have like a, a, a take on that uh, just because, or a take that's worth hearing. Uh, Cause I don't really know. I, I, I'm not going to pretend to speak on behalf of that just because I, I'm, it's not something that I'm qualified to, to talk about. Uh, and I think what's telling about this movie, what makes it so, I think, continuously controversial is when I said the meta text of this movie that we're going to be arguing about till the heat death of the universe, I was talking about something completely different than what you were talking about, which is the political reading of this movie. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that that was really something that was discussed either back when this came I out. I think it was. I, 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 was I, it? I mean, the research that I'm doing is like, this is a movie that gets like talked up in the National Review as like a great piece of conservative popular culture. It, it, it's a movie that I think absolutely got claimed by the American right of the 90s as their movie. It, it, it feels like under the sense that the reading is you have this character who does what they're told who doesn't you know who's living through this turbulent era who does what they're told who serves in the military who serves honorably in the military comes back you know realizes the american dream starts a successful business doesn't fall into the the counterculture and look what happens to the character in the movie who does and so i think part of the backlash in the movie is because if we are to assume that that is what the movie is trying to say then it is an extremely glib kind of piece of right-wing hack work. I'm not sure that that is what this movie is about because I think it's too muddled to be about that. I, I agree. I don't think that it is necessarily about that either. Uh, now, I, I can't be sure. This is based on a novel. I have not read the novel, so I can't say my if... my un My understanding of the novel, and this is only through pe other people I've read about reading it, I have not read it, is that maybe it's slightly... It's slightly less kind of broadly kind of nice with uh, and than this <laughs> in terms of just how smoothly it goes about its business. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can understand the sort of conservative perspective on this, but I, I think that it was I think that you can easily say that that's just it's it's a product of the era in which it was set in you know this mm -hmm. is this is set during a time when like people were still looking to achieve the american dream you know and i i don't know i it, it i guess you could read it either way but i'd like to think that that's not how this it, th that's not the messaging in this but yeah i i i don't think it necessarily is just because I think this is a movie that's quite muddled. I don't think quite it, it is not really cohesive enough in that sense to have like a direct. Um, right. It doesn't, it doesn't reading. seem, it doesn't seem like there's quite enough subtext or really, really anything 
that would indicate that. But it is interesting because like there's like, and this is probably a whole like topic that you could have is like, does it matter? Does it matter if that wasn't the intended purpose when people have latched on to it and turned it into something that maybe the, the original intention wasn't that, you know, like Pepe the frog is a good example. Like Mm. it was never meant to be some kind of, you know, alt right symbol or anything. It was just a funny cartoon that someone drew drew and it morphed into something that, that it didn't represent. Yeah. I, I think there, there comes a point where if we talk about the idea that art is not perpetually going to be under the control of its artist to tell us what it's about, then I think part of its story then becomes how it's received in the broader culture. Uh, or at least becomes part of that meta narrative, uh, and I think so much of Forrest Gump's backlash is a backlash that assumes that that reading of the movie is the correct reading, or so-called you know correct reading to whatever degree something you read correctly, mm, mm-hmm. uh, unless it is very explicitly a polemic of some kind. I think rewatching this movie, I am less willing to just kind of co-sign that reading as, okay, clearly this is what this movie's meant to be, and this is my response within that context of assuming that's correct. I think it's just a movie that is, again, I think well-made. It's whatever it's trying to do, it does so with this surgical precision to make you feel as much as possible, regardless of whether it's earning that. And yeah, I, I think... If we're going to talk about that political reading of this movie, uh, then I think it's kind of one that then gets like I think tossed into the to the greater uh, pantheon of the reading around it, which is uh, then it becomes part of the argument on you know how are the baby boomers seeing themselves and their legacy and their impact on American life. I think that it's just also when you look at at Robert Zemeckis and his work, I just don't. I just don't see him putting that kind of, uh, even if it's like subtle, I don't, I don't, I just don't see him putting that kind of subtle rhetoric in, into his movies. I think a lot, that's what makes me also think a lot of it's getting read onto it. Which again, you know, like I said before, like there's movies that that can be read like that, uh, are discussions are warranted for, for that, you know, especially when, you know, movies can have the power to, you know, influence people in different ways. And like, you know, look at movies like Fight Club or mm-hmm. The Joker more recently, yeah, where it, it, those th- those movies get misinterpreted all over the place. And then they turn into something that they're clearly not. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it, it, it's it's where it's hard to not think about the movie's broad legacy about thinking about that, even though it is not the intention of the people who made the movie. And I think another thing about Forrest Gump, and, and this is a little bit of kind of, an, I'm thinking back to some of the reading that I have done about this movie within this context, which is that I think there was a good, uh, there's a good argument I saw somewhere. I think, uh, okay, yes, uh, this is a, uh, and I'm going to uh, quote actually a letterboxed review from uh, Jamel Bowie, who's a uh, columnist for the New York Times, uh, who was writing about this movie a couple of years ago on Letterboxd, and he says something that I think is very, is very relevant to, to this uh, uh, discussion we're having about movies that kind of 
become part of those broader narratives, which is that he argues that 1994 basically was the exact point in time when Forrest Gump was going to be read this way. Like it's it's like if we think about pop culture and politics meeting in certain points in time and how they meet in certain points in time, then this is a one where if we think that, you know, maybe there's more to this than meets the eye with those conservative readings, he argues that it's still a point when it's being released at a point when those readings would not have been acknowledged or rather anything else except that kind of straightforward reading would have been. Again, I I don't think that that's what it is, although I it's very easy to draw that conclusion with this movie and at the end of the day it's it's not a movie that I plan on revisiting anytime soon and it's funny that this was nominated alongside Shawshank Redemption, which is like another one that, <laughs> that is just so permeated into our pop culture and that everybody just like universally adores and loves so much. Although honestly, like I'm not a huge fan of Shawshank, but you know, whatever. It's, it's such a year. <laughs> you look, yeah. well, Again, it's such a year. <laughs> and it lost Pulp Fiction lost to this, which is, you know. I think, again, if we're talking about um, that same theory I had where there are movies where the worst thing can happen to it is win Best Picture. Kind of the case here. Yeah. It, or a movie that just got so, I think the second part of that, a movie that gets so exalted in pop culture can sometimes be very, very bad for that movie. This did win Best Visual Effects, along, uh, and it beat The Mask and True Lies. <laughs> I guess putting... There's only uh, three, three, three nominees. <laughs> putting uh, Forrest Gump and all those, uh, on all that archival footage. It's so funny because when that, when the movie came out, that was like mind-blowing. Like how they did that. You're just like, whoa. But now when you watch it, it's like in high def and stuff. And you see it, and you're just like, oh boy. Like they didn't do a great job with the 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 CG on the on the mouths of, yeah. uh, of like Richard Nixon and Oh no. <laughs> oh no. The the scene where he's on uh Dick Cavett is so fascinating to me. Uh because it's John Lennon archival, I'm guessing, um, uh, and not just like pulled from something else or like but john lennon on dick cavett at some point dick cavett clearly dialogue that was you know written and performed for the purpose of this movie but dick cavett looking like he would have in you know 1970 yeah (laughs) it's such a that is such a weird whatever combination of effects or whatever they were doing to do that i don't know if it works i just kept looking at that yeah Yeah, that was a it was a big deal like all all the effects work like what they did when they the way that they digitally removed Gary Sinise's legs, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Dan, and and that was all like a huge deal. Like I remember that when I first saw it, I was like, "How did they? How they do it? How did they remove his legs?" Mm. I was like trying to figure <laughs> it out. I couldn't couldn't wrap my head around it because this is like early early days for CG, you know? Yeah. No, I, I there's a lot of good effects in this. <laughs> Uh, I'm just still, still going back to like that. There, there, like there's too much going on in this movie. 
just so that we talk about that and then you talk about uh, talk about like that and I'm like yeah that's also a part of this movie that's also a plot thread in this movie that's also an aspect of this movie and it's like well the, oh the, there's God. a whole other aspect we didn't even talk about Bubba Gump shrimp oh my God uh, the, the, the the fact that it actually spawned a real company that is still around today and is very successful absolutely out of control piece of trivia <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that completely bonkers <laughs> like that they this movie was so popular that they turned one small little bit of it you know this is a, a massive movie that had a lot of moving parts and they took that bubba gum shrimp and they made an actual restaurant out of it chain restaurant chain out of it does does like I don't know who would is like what did like who wrote uh, is who's getting who involves in the did they pay like a one time fee is there is or, or is there an ongoing licensing agreement does does Robert Zemeckis get a small cut of every Bubba Gump shrimp purchase? <laughs> I have no idea. I do remember I looked it up at some point. It was like a guy that he wasn't involved in the movie or anything, and like he. Set it up, I, but I don't know like what the the agreement was or Ongoing anything. Ongoing licensing agreement uh, from Paramount for Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs> so uh, weird. Although, of course, the other fun uh, fun financial fact about this movie is that it made six hundred and seventy eight million dollars worldwide, uh, and Winston Groom, who wrote the novel, uh, had to like sue to get any money beyond his initial like fee that they paid for the rights because they kept telling him that it didn't make any money because that's how that how <laughs> Hollywood accounting works. This movie that made $678 million off a $55 million profit budget was in fact unprofitable. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add about Forrest Gump? Yes, but also no, I wouldn't know how to get those thoughts out of my mouth. <laughs> it's a movie that I, that, that's just sort of, I, I I feel like there's so much more about it and also I don't know where to go. I wonder I wonder how the fact that he's named after a Klansman fits into the the uh Oh yeah. Uh, the the political uh, take I'd on say, this. I'm gonna say it doesn't play in its favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they did they did he did like kind of there was like a one off like line where he kind of dismissed it. And they made it kind of seem like it was an ironic name. Like she named him that like ironically, which is kind of weird. I don't think you can do that. <laughs> you give me an ironic ironically name, name somebody after. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, there you go. That's Forrest Gump. Oh, God. Our third feature this month is a comedic period piece that garnered six Oscar wins. Directed by John Madden, this is Shakespeare in Love. The nation's top critics have a favorite film. What's it called? Shakespeare in Love. Good title. Winner of the Golden Globe Award for Best Picture, and now nominated for 13 Academy Awards, more than any other movie, including Best Actress Gwyneth Paltrow, Best Supporting Actor Jeffrey Rush, Best Supporting Actress Judy Dench, Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture of the Year. Shakespeare in Love, rated R, now playing everywhere. The world's greatest ever playwright, William Shakespeare, is young, out of ideas, 
and short of cash, but meets his ideal woman and is inspired to write one of his most famous plays. Ken, what were your impressions of Shakespeare in Love? Absolutely the complete and total, like, definition of the statement I've been making all through this episode. A nice movie that is perfectly fine and wins Best Picture is doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember this was, this one, there was a lot of chatter when this won. A lot of people were like, WTF, like, why did this win? This this shouldn't have won. And I remember being very angry that the, and like, I never even saw it. Like, I, I did not see it at the time. I refused. I was like, no, I'm not seeing that movie. No way. And I think actually when I watched it for this show, I think it was the first time that I've seen it. Pretty sure. I might have seen it one other time, a long, long, long time ago. I think maybe my stepmom rented it at some point and maybe I watched it, but I literally remembered nothing about it other than what was like, you know, people were talking about when it came out. Mm-hmm. So you've seen it for the first time now. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched what? it the whole way through. And uh, I, I, di- I didn't hate it. I didn't love no. it. Uh, it was sort of right down the middle for me. I'm not a big fan of period pieces. I do not like Shakespeare uh, at all. So this was, you know, <laughs> there, there are a couple things going against this when I went into it. But overall, I think that it was uh, fine. I, I don't have a lot of criticisms with it, actually. I, I enjoyed the comedy portions of it for the most part. I thought it was well done. I... Mm-hmm. I liked the kind of chaos of of this. There, there are like certain scenes when there's like a million things going on at once. I really liked the sets too. Like I thought that the production design was quite good. So yeah, I uh, thought it was fine overall. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is deserving of uh, the best picture award. No, no. <laughs> It's not. Uh, <laughs> it is probably the movie that I was the most entertained by out of any of the four. The movie that least made me uh, bored, irritated, or viscerally uncomfortable. Yeah, which we'll get yeah. to. It's it's yeah it's a it's a pretty light it's a pretty light fun little romp. Uh, yeah, good good performances. Across the board, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow does a really good job in here. Uh, yeah, every everybody's uh, everybody's fine. It's it's mm-hmm. now now the the big question is should it have won over Saving Private Ryan? And that's an emphatic no. It mm. definitely shouldn't have. But <laughs> I don't know. It is what it is. It's yeah. I mean. If we talk about the the circumstances of its win, then we will have a much less enjoyable time talking about this movie. Costumes are great, too. Uh, just wanted to note note that some incredible costume oh, yeah. design. It's a gorgeous looking movie. Good score. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good music. It 
uh, it did win for best costume design. Sandy Powell won, and the uh, the score also won. Stephen Warbeck, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow won for her role, as did Judy Dench, getting a best supporting actress award. So that uh, that was pretty pretty good. John Madden, the director. Did not win. He got nominated. Did not win. In an era where it was considered unusual for director and picture to go to a different movie, but now I think mm -hmm. with the ranked choice voting for best picture, that's a lot more common. Have we talked about John? I don't know if we've talked about John Madden before on this Uh, No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, Uh, He just A lot of generic stuff. Yeah, he just did Actually, he... He just did a movie that came out on Netflix this this yeah. past weekend, Operation mm-hmm. Mincemeat. Operation Mincemeat, which I like know very little about, and I'm sure is horribly generic. And that's the thing with it's with John Madden is I feel World War Two movie. I, I, yeah, I feel like he just does a lot of kind of stuff that's definitely not for me. Like he did uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. <laughs> No, like you just he's, he is a good, efficient, effective, competent filmmaker uh who does not have, to my knowledge, uh many autourist readings of his work. No. He did uh proof, which was very forgettable. He mm-hmm. did uh the the the, the best exotic marigold hotel. And the, and the second, second best, best exotic, exotic yeah, uh, that those I saw part of the first one I think, and I was like, no, 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 this is definitely not my jam. He did Miss Sloan, so it just yeah, pretty generic, forgettable stuff. And I I don't I don't necessarily think that that Shakespeare in Love is generic, uh, forgettable, maybe slightly. Mm-hmm. Maybe slightly forgettable. It's an, it's enjoyable while it's happening, and then afterwards you're just like, oh yeah, I forgot. I kind of I did watch that movie mm-hmm. this week. You know, it's just it's fine, I guess. Like incorporating you know the, the inspiration for some of his most famous plays into the story it's like yeah. oh it's really that's really clever oh mm-hmm. so, uh, you know like yeah. how they incorporate like the dialogue mm-hmm. from his plays into what people are saying and you're just like oh i recognize that it's like mm-hmm. the nerdiest easter eggs ever yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like it's like a marvel movie when they when they sneak in a reference to another hero that's that's not in the movie and you're just like i i spotted it but it's mm-hmm. for theater nerds instead. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop thinking the degree to which, like, this is, like, if part of the reason that it won over Shakespeare and Love, uh, Shakespeare and Love won over Saving Private Ryan is uh, because of its ability to, get, to to play for voters on, like, screeners or something. Like, this is a perfect screener movie. Saving Private Ryan is not. Not. No, not. <laughs> Because this is during a time when they probably sent out VHS screeners, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into talking about the the, the kind of now uh, uh, the, the the Oscar campaign around this that won it because then we have to talk about like Miramax and stuff and. I'd, oh yeah. I'd <laughs> rather we not do that, but uh yeah, no. This this is like th- this this feels like a movie that a lot of people have seen for the first time on VHS. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. Likely. It's, it plays on VHS as I imagine that to, to be not having seen it on VHS. It, it's funny like even the cover. When you look at IMDb and see the poster it looks like a VHS poster to me, like, or, or box cover. That's what it looks like. Yeah, it looks Just, like a poster that was made to be put on a VHS and have extra space around it for, like, winner, seven Academy Awards. Yeah. I'd say see it. It's very, it's a nice movie. It's, it's fine. The, it's probably nominally the, my favorite out of the four this month, but I would, it, this is not I, a actually, stunning month for us. Yeah. Actually, I might say the same. We'll we'll get into it with our our final review, which may be our most controversial. Maybe we should just jump. Maybe we should just get d- dive headfirst into that one while we're. I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> um. uh, our final review this month is perhaps the most controversial title on this list for various reasons. Winner of five Oscars and directed by Sam Mendes, this is if American you think Beauty. Drama can't be funny. You know, I watched you very closely. You didn't screw up once. If you think a comedy can't move you. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. Look closer. I rule. Critics are calling American Beauty a flat-out masterpiece. The best movie of the year. Very few movies are genuinely unforgettable. This is one of them. That's how things really are. American Beauty rated R. Now playing in select cities. Coming soon to a theater near you. Oh, God. A sexually frustrated suburban father has a midlife crisis after becoming infatuated with his daughter's best friend. Oh, God. (laughs) I just took off my glasses and put them on the table. (laughs) (laughs) It can be like face palming the whole discussion. I actually am. Oh, God. This is a a really fascinating movie, I think, to to talk about. It says so much about where the Academy was in 1999-2000. Not only that, but where I think the mainstream of American popular culture was. It's it's just... It's so fascinating. This tells me. you so much. I, I will admit that when this movie came out, I loved it. Like, I saw this movie in the theater. I, I think I rented it. I don't know if I owned it or not but i know that i saw it multiple times i might have seen it twice in the theater i just i was so i just loved this movie i just thought it was next level it was just so deep and it's telling you about america adam yeah it was it was uh it was looking at uh looking close in life is that the tagline and i and i was like you know what i i live in the suburbs like Mm -hmm. this is this is this is where I'm living, you know? And I was a teenager at the time. So, whew, I was like, oh, this is this is speaking to me right here. Mm. Now, I'm going to I'm going to set to say as well that I had a similar reaction the first time I saw it. I didn't love it, but I remember liking it a lot, and I was also a teenager f- 
far later into this movie's time of being a movie uh, in the world, and so I maybe have less of an excuse. <laughs> maybe. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know I, how it... it... This feels like a movie that is, you know, ironically a movie that, that feels like it probably speaks to teenagers more than anyone else. Likely, yeah. I, like, I, I was trying to think if it, if it, how, like, middle-aged men would would look at this movie because you know the catalyst is like you said in the synopsis Kevin Spacey's character has this midlife crisis and like basically snaps he, he almost turns into uh what's his name's a uh, character from Office Space where he just doesn't he just doesn't care anymore mm. like he just stops caring about everything it's a really difficult movie to unpack i think i think that there's a lot that it's trying to say, but I think that it also in the same breath is almost too full of itself. Oh, it is so that's the, yeah, it is so smug about it. And it's a movie that, you know, for so many reasons we would say aged badly, but one of them is that this feels like kind of the peak of 1999 kind of feels like it's a movie that's like peak, like, Fukuyama end of history or something where it's like we've identified these characters in this setting and like here are their problems and this is America's problems and this is these are universal human problems these are the real problems yeah it's, like, it's just yep. so just so short-sighted so yeah and and I think that you have other movies that that do the same sort of had these same themes and I think uh, one that just pops into my head is happiness that the Todd Salons movie that movie I think handles like the the whole kind of cynical suburban life in in a much more interesting way and that movie is controversial in its own right with some of the stuff that happens in that movie maybe even more so than American Beauty, but um, I think that happiness kind of tackles those those subjects in a more contemplative, thought provoking manner than in American Beauty, which American Beauty is is the characters are very surface level for the most part. It, yeah, and each character sort of checks a box. Yes. And 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 I think that that that's maybe one of the problem areas of this movie. Yeah, I, I think for many reasons, <laughs> we'll just say it's a movie when when I started watching it as it started, you know, putting these characters in place and telling you about them, I, I, I thought this might not be as bad as I'm worried it was going to be. And then it just keeps getting more and more and more unpleasant to watch. Yeah, I mean, the, the level of cynicism in this movie is off the charts. And mm-hmm. when you when you boil it down, there are no good characters no. really in this movie. They're all self-absorbed, narcissistic, bad people for the most part. People who assume that they must become miserable and narcissistic, uh, that is self-evident because of the station of their lives, the place, or that's self-evident because of where their lives are. And no, it's not self-evident to me. (laughs) Different times, man. Yeah, (laughs) it's another one of those things. It's like, no, this is so very 1999 in that way. I, we can't really talk about this movie and not talk about 
Kevin Spacey. As much as I was hoping to delay it, but (laughs) yeah, at least his character in this, which is, which is kind of funny. Like when you see this movie and then see how, you know, what happened with him in real life, you can't help, but draw some disturbing parallels there. Yeah. You, you cannot help but think about the, the, the sexual misconduct allegations of, of Kevin Spacey, attempting to commit statutory rape uh uh and and not think about who he is playing in this movie and what this character is trying to do it is just uh oh my yeah but the thing is like he's not even really good in this movie like and, and is, that's something that I don't think I ever really noticed. He is giving the this. lauded performance of this movie. There are multiple performances of this movie that are better than his. Yeah, like Annette Benning is. She's she's so good in this movie. Oh my so god, good. she is incredible in this. She she's so good in this, and like even even like Mina Savari, I think delivers a better performance than than Spacey in mm. this. And like maybe that's part of the character that he was like this just this kind of just em- emotionally dis- disjointed and and had this sort of lackadaisical demeanor, but but like his line delivery was just felt so weird to me at times and and perhaps that's just, you know, because I'm viewing it in 2022, but Mm-hmm. The scene when, which is a really big scene, huge moment where Chris Cooper confronts Kevin Spacey in his garage. And just that, that interaction, it's like, why, why did he act like that? Why did Spacey's character, Lester, why did he do that? Like, it was a weird, it was a weird thing. Like, would you ever talk to your neighbor, embrace your neighbor, like say, act like that towards a, your new neighbor. Like, it's just weird, man. I, I, like I, I was not buying that whole thing and it felt like it was all at, at the convenience of the, the narrative to try to get, get us to where we needed to go. Mm-hmm. I, Cause there needed to be something, you know, that, that, that triggered yeah. Chris Cooper's character. Yes. Another thought that I had when watching this is, with the caveat that none of these characters are painted as particularly sympathetic, essentially Annette Benning's character is also going through a midlife crisis, the overall oh, yeah. structure of which is very similar to the Kevin Spacey character, and the movie just treats her so completely differently. Yeah, I mean, like, Spacey is like... Maybe it's not meant this way, but to me, it's it felt like he was portrayed as like the hero of this. Yeah, I'd he was the guy who who was like figuring it all out. I think there's the the reading that I came up out with, and the one that made me just sort of stunned and but not overly surprised. I, I, I I'm afraid to say is that his character is if not tre- not treated sympathetically, but is treated as a tragic figure. Whereas Annette Benning's character, who's going through much of the same thing, is not treated sympathetically and is treated villainously. She's treated much worse than than he is. I, I feel like that's very telling. Also, when you look at just how things unfold, it's it's his actions that 
that spark all of this to happen. Everything, everything like with Thor Birch's character uh, and, and what happens with her and, and um, Wes Bentley, like just he, he, his actions are the catalyst for everything. And yet somehow he's the one who has just, he just, he figured it all out. He figured out life. And, you know, at the end when he gets killed, he, he died a happy man because he did not have sex with a child. And that's supposed to be the fact that he did not commit statutory rape is supposed to be what shows that he. What? <laughs> I guess we're supposed to, 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 to praise him for doing that. Yeah, he did the right thing. He, yeah. He's a good guy. Congratulations <laughs> for not committing a crime. <laughs> Congratulations for not committing statutory rape is basically what the movie's saying. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's, this, this movie's r- ridiculous. It is... Uh, it, 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 it cannot see anything that's going on in front of it in ways that are... It is just so self-absorbed in ways that are that you that range between either irritating or just downright malicious it's uh you know i'll say this for it conrad hall is an amazing cinematographer (laughs) oh yeah it looks great yeah i think i think thomas newman's score is good as a piece of music i do not know how well it fits with this movie generally i think there yeah. may be, i think maybe mendez's direction had to be a little bit different for it to really fit it's okay it kind of plays into the dark comedic aspects of it i think yeah i think it's it's a great so, piece of music that doesn't really work out yeah, I think I think that it there's certain certain times when it it fits better, like when it when it's clearly trying to convey that like that like f- you know fifties nuclear family like everything is perfect on the outside but underneath the surface, like you know those those kind of moments when it's trying to showcase that at a movie that really treats that as a new observation in 1999 too uh yeah uh yeah just this is just like a complete like this is a movie there's a uh there's a great piece that i want to that i want to uh shout out here uh uh, it was on the huffington post a few years ago called the steady cultural demise of american beauty uh it's just (laughs) about this this stunning journey this has gone on from being the the, the movie that had captured the uh, uh, the people's attention so much and and praise so much in 1999 to a movie where it, it you cannot even like remotely just <laughs> what are you supposed to say about it like that's the whole kind of premise of the opening of the piece what are you supposed to say about american beauty winning best picture uh in this day and age like it, it it's just a movie that you can't <laughs> like you can't yeah. and i think a good a good point about it is that it starts is that he points out it starts almost immediately uh like i don't have the, the full piece in front of me but one of the things i think that he points out is that like it is impossible to like look at this movie and I'm look, actually looking at the release date right now. It's impossible to look at this movie, to look at what it's thinking about, to look about what it thinks its priorities are, to look about what it th- or what its priorities are and what it thinks 
correct priorities are and what the lens the world should be viewed through uh, for a movie that came out almost exactly two years before 9-11 to the day. It is kind of wild. It is an extremely pre-9-11 movie. It it is uh, it is definitely a movie of its time that will continue to not age well. Yes, it yeah, it, and it's just a movie about just such like surface level kind of the Clinton era ideal of prosperity and and, and just like the socio economic time of its release. It's uh, just you know of I think you're right. It's a movie that I feel like can only keep aging worse and worse, which is I think kind of sucks. Because there are, I think, some good elements to yeah. this. Uh, no, it's not yeah. a movie. I, like, I, I don't despise this movie or anything like no. that. I mean, m- like my opinions on it have certainly cooled over the years. Uh, and and I do see it as being more problematic now than back in 1999. What? But I think it's still kind of uh, an interesting look at a, a a time that was not that long ago but mm-hmm. also feels like it was uh, seem <laughs> seems like it was quite a long time ago uh, yeah as yeah i there are like just good and i just think as a piece of writing like they're just on dialogue like line to line level they're like good funny like snappy interactions in this movie that play well there are scenes that are uh well made and like i said i think it looks great i think it's just a a a beautifully shot movie and yeah i i think i think it's only future now is in a purely kind of instructive context of like this captures a zeit a moment in the zeitgeist a moment in the mainstream of american culture and i think it's instructive on that level I don't know. I I think in a lot of ways, like the it's become more interesting over the years because now there's this whole additional layer to it that that really wasn't like talked about. You know, it it couldn't couldn't really couldn't be talked about until you distance yourself from it. And I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it was an interesting one to revisit. However, I was very uncomfortable watching it this, oh this time around. And I oh, think God. That, I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it was, I'll be honest, it was the spacey thing. Like, it was 100% no, you, I, the spacey how can it, thing. I, I mean, how can it not be? <laughs> it's not even like the case of like people will be like, oh, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's an artist. He's playing a character. He's playing a character who's trying to do the exact same things that he has been accused of doing by many people. It was weird, man. Like, it was, it was, it was weird. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. That's American Beauty. I think I think we we went through it okay. Like I think we got through that relatively unscathed. We'll see what the listeners think. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, I think that that's gonna do it for this month. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your '90s topics to '90s at filmpulse.net or by sending us a DM on Twitter or Facebook at '90s Pod. Until next month, for Ken Bakley, my name is Adam Patterson. This has been Say by the '90s. Bye, everyone.